Good morning. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. Great to see you, Atkinsons. Welcome back. Um, what a great day um, to celebrate um, the heavy lifters, um, at least in our house, and I know in most of the world. And um, this sermon today is um, from Luke chapter 7, going into chapter 8, verse 3. Um, I think it has unique application for ladies, but it really has uh, application for all of us. And um, so uh, I've titled the sermon, Those Forgiven Much, Love Much. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have been forgiven much. God, we are grateful that, um, that you in your kindness and in your mercy has canceled the record of debt that stood against us. And we thank you that we uh, owe no more, that um, our sins have been forgiven. And I pray, God, that um, by the teaching and the um, studying of this passage, God, I pray that we would experience peace in living out um, our forgiveness and living in this, um, this middle space of being reminded that we are more sinful than we know, yet we're more loved than we can imagine. I pray, God, that that would just help us walk in peace of our salvation. We love you. I pray, God, that you'd be honored and glorified, and I pray, God, that you would just extend an extra measure of grace to us this morning. And God's people said, amen. On Friday, I got a call from my wife, Nancy, she says, hey, Danny, I'm at the store, and my debit card is declined. It's not the words that you want to hear when, you are, when your wife goes shopping and does most of the work. But uh, I calmly said, honey, hang on just a minute. I went to my banking app. I transferred some money from savings into the checking account, and I said, you're good to go. It was very peaceful. It was, it was easy. It was a little bit embarrassing. But we were able to walk through this mishap with peace because of the confidence that we had in knowing that we weren't insolvent, that there was money in the bank to meet all of our obligations. Even in my misstep of letting the checking account get low, there was peace in knowing that all the expenses could be covered. I tell you this story not to embarrass myself, but because this is the reality of our relationship with Christ. Your debts have been paid. You will never be spiritually insolvent. There's grace upon grace to cover all of your future sins, and you will never be in spiritual debt again. As I've been studying this passage, I've actually been begging the Lord uh, more than I normally do that he would master me with this passage. So I feel like it's a place, it's speaking right to me. It's speaking to me in um, the condemnation that I often uh, find myself in, that the enemy is tempting me with, condemnation from sins of yesteryear or even condemnation from sins of yesterday. But we know that God came, that Jesus came to forgive us, not only to bring us into a right relationship with himself, but so that there be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's a daily struggle for me to be reminded, to be, to be at peace with my salvation, that there's no condemnation. And at the same time, I walk in a place where it's easier for me to see the sins of other people than it is to see my own sin. 
I don't know if any of you can relate with either one of those. But we oftentimes live in that place. And when we live in that place, we can't walk freely and peaceably, peaceably um, in our relationship with the Lord. The proposition, if I might, for today's sermon is the following. The key for ongoing peace is in knowing that you are more sinful than you know and more loved than you can imagine. The secret sauce for peace is in living in this middle spot of knowing that you're more sinful than you, can, than you know, yet at the same time you're more loved than you can imagine. I've got a bit of an outline here today. It's in five different pieces. It's more than I would have liked to see, but it's just the way it broke down. Um, the first section we're going to look at is verses 36 through 40, and we're going to see the contrast of two hearts. We're going to see the contrast of the heart of a sinful woman, a known sinner, and the heart of a known religious man, a Pharisee. Secondly, in verses 41 through 43, we're going to see the cause of great love. We're going to see what's behind this sinful woman's great love for Jesus. And in the third, in verses 44 through 47, we're going to see the corroboration I needed to see, or the proof of her great love. What's the proof of her great love? How does she show her great love? Next is the confidence or the assurance of her salvation. And then finally, I snuck this one in there, Jesus loves women. In this opening scene, there are no words spoken. But we're going to see the heart of a woman with a lifetime of mistakes contrasted with a man who seems to have it all together. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster uh, flask of ointment. In this opening scene, we see Simon the Pharisee hosting a dinner party for his Pharisee friends and for the guest of honor, Jesus. And we don't know exactly why he invited Jesus to this dinner party. It could have been that Simon truly was interested in what Jesus was preaching. But it's most likely that he wanted to entrap Jesus. He wanted to continue studying Jesus. The Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders were both curious and they were at the same time skeptical about Jesus. In that day, the homes of well-to-do people were built around central courtyards in which formal meals were served. Traditionally, at these type of gatherings, the meal would be served at a table that was in the shape of a horseshoe. It had tables on three sides and it was opened on the, on the other side. And the guests would recline on their left elbow um, on couches while they ate with the right hand. And their feet would be sticking out from the table. Their, their dirty, um, stinky, sometimes offensive feet would be sticking out from the table like spokes on a bike. Oftentimes the doors of the home were left open so that uninvited people could enter the courtyard, sit by the walls, listen to the conversation, and maybe even pick up some extra scraps of food. Luke, instead of focusing on the noble guests and all the great food, instead he pans the camera of scripture and focuses on one 
uninvited guest. Behold, a woman of the city, a sinner. Behold a woman. This gives us a sense of the onlooker's shock at seeing a woman in the midst of men. You see, women were not welcome um, at gatherings like this. Women were not supposed to be taught by rabbis. And women not being welcome, especially a known sinner, was not welcome. This woman was most likely a known prostitute or an adulteress. Either way, her sin and her reputation were well known. This unrighteous woman boldly walks into the room of self-righteous men and with a great and open love for Jesus, she approaches him. She was there because he had changed the trajectory of her life. Somewhere, somehow, possibly through a public sermon or maybe through private conversations, Jesus' words had changed her heart. And she turned to him and found forgiveness and acceptance. As this unrighteous woman walked into the room full of self-righteous men, I picture the music stopping, the conversation ceasing, and all eyes staring with unbelief as this notorious sinner boldly and unashamedly approaches Jesus. And what happens next even brings more shock and disgust to the guests. Verse 38. And standing behind him, behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. As she stood behind him at his feet, she began to weep. And this term is not to be dismissed because it literally means to pour down rain. Rain showers, if you will. Her tears poured onto Jesus' soiled feet and she had no towel. So this woman did the best she could and she let down her hair and she wiped Jesus' dirty feet. This, is, this would have been a uh, massive error and shocked all the people in the room because it was socially irresponsible, because a woman who loosens her hair was only supposed to do it in the presence of her husband. The Talmud says that a woman could be divorced for letting down her hair in the presence of another man. Then she kissed his feet. And the Greek word means to continue kissing his feet. And we see the same word that's used by the father kissing the prodigal son upon the prodigal son's return. We see, this, uh, we see this as uh, Paul departs Ephesus and all the elders kissing Paul. It's a sign of affection. The woman was a self-forgetful mess, crying unashamedly, her nose running, her eyes uh, red from weeping, her hair stringy with a muddy mixture of dirt and tears. And then finally she anointed the feet of Jesus with an aroma that filled the room that would have reminded people that a king was present. This woman showed Jesus an embarrassing amount of courage and affection. It would have been embarrassing to see her doing what she's doing. These were acts of love from a woman who is deeply thankful and devoted to Jesus and doesn't give a rip what anybody else thinks. Her guilt and her shame had been removed. 
She was fully accepted in spite of her past. Have you ever known someone who is embarrassingly committed to Jesus? Maybe they adopt a child later in life than seems reasonable. Someone with no fear of men that they will talk openly with anyone, anywhere about their love for Jesus. Someone who gives so much money to the church and to missionaries and to kingdom advancement that it doesn't seem wise. Someone who will do whatever the Lord asks to do, them to do and whenever he asks them to do it. Someone who will trust and endure the pain of trials rather than running from their trials. Someone who is so, so thick-skinned that they're not easily offended. I would submit to you that these are people who stand in the peaceful reality that they are more sinful than they know. Yet what? They are more loved than they can imagine. Let's take a look at the heart of the Pharisee now after looking at the heart of the woman. Jesus did not resist the actions of this woman who was a known sinner, and that bothers the Pharisees. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw the woman's actions, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The, the Pharisee's response was to himself. But he could not keep his thoughts from Jesus. Simon decides Jesus can't be a prophet because Jesus doesn't seem to have the God-given insight to see the true character and the reputation of this woman. If Jesus knew, after all, if Jesus knew this woman was a sinner, he would not let the lady touch him. If, he knew any, if, if you know anything about a Pharisee, this should not surprise you. Oh, and by the way, and this has been said a few times the last few weeks, we all have a little bit of Pharisee in us. And some of you have more Pharisee than others. And I'm not making eye contact with anybody. <laughs> Other than if there was a mirror, I'd look right here. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees showed themselves bitter and persistent enemies of the Lord. The, the Pharisees could not bear his doctrines of grace and the upside, upside down nature of the kingdom that he proclaimed. And they sought by every means to destroy Jesus' influence among the people. Luke has written much about this already, and I was going to actually recount it, but because of time I didn't. But it starts, really starts in chapter 5, and it continues all the way up until last, last week. Make no mistakes. Hear me on this. The Pharisees knew their Bibles. Yet their heart and their actions did not match their knowledge. This should wake us up. Their system of religion was a form and nothing more. Their heart didn't match their bumper sticker. At some level, they had an external resemblance to Jesus, but there was a profound spiritual difference. And this spiritual difference necessitated Jesus to set himself off from the Pharisees, to mark himself off from them. 
In fact, Jesus did more than just marking himself off on them. He denounced the Pharisees. If you want to read some harsh words for Pharisees, look at Matthew chapter 23. And let me just read some of it for you. A few examples. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. They preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. He goes on to say, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. For you clean the outside of the cup. They look great on the outside, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. For he says, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Ouch. Some of you have heard the Jeff Foxworthy spiel that you know you're a redneck when... Let me give you a short list that you know you're acting like a Pharisee when you do the following. When you don't practice what you preach. When you don't repent when you don't practice what you preach. When you're quick to justify your actions rather than repent. When you feel superior and look down on anyone who doesn't have their act together, Christian or non-Christian. When you see your sin as smaller than the sin of the big sinners of the world. When you separate yourself from toxic people rather than moving towards them to minister to them. When you are sitting there thinking about how this applies to someone else rather than you. You act like a Pharisee when you have no Christian friends. When you have no messy, when you have no non-Christian friends. And also when you have no messy Christian friends. You act like a Pharisee when you care more about your outward appearance than genuine gospel transformation. And then finally you act like a Pharisee when you care more about building a strong nation than seeing the kingdom of God advance. I pray that our church does not have a self-righteous, pharisaical culture, but one of gospel grace. I pray that we know God's word in, increasingly, in an increasing manner and that we allow it to transform us. Here's the deal. If you want to know um, the contents of your heart, if it's grace-saturated or if it's um, legalistic and pharisaical, um, hang around problem people, difficult people. You see, problem people, difficult people, different people have a habit of exposing our heart. We don't want to be around known sinners. They irritate us. We're afraid that they're going to contaminate our Christine Christian bubble. You know, it would make me more excited than anything if the most... Um, um, the biggest sinners that you have in your mind right now who are non-Christians would walk into this place next Sunday and we would welcome them here and we would feed them the gospel of Jesus Christ that can give them peace with God. But there's people that irritate us. 
When someone is difficult or disappointing or disrespectful, our reactions to that reveals our own hearts. When we, when we discover that someone we know has fallen into sin, when you know that someone has fallen into sin, a Christian or non-Christian, it reveals your heart. Does your heart say, well, how could they ever do that? Or is it a heart of wondering what's going on in their heart so that you can minister to them? Yes, my prayer is that we discover grace in our hearts from God. But at the same time, I know that we're going to discover pride and self-righteousness. And I pray that God would root that out by his grace. Jesus can see into Simon's heart to know what he's thinking. Jesus replies to Simon's thoughts as if he had spoken them out loud. But the real shock is this. Jesus sees the heart of this woman, and he sees the heart of Simon. And he's more disgusted by what he sees in Simon's heart than by what he sees in the woman's heart. Simon's attitude to this woman exposes his heart. Up until this point, up until verse 40, there's been no word spoken. No one has addressed the woman, and there's been nothing said by anyone in the room. And that's, this is about to change, verse 40. And Jesus answered, and Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. This is the final revelation here of Simon's heart. He wants to hear Jesus' teaching. Say it, teacher. But he doesn't seem interested in being transformed by it. In this next section, verses 41 through 43, we're going to see the cause or the motivation of the woman's heart for Jesus and the Pharisee's heart towards a woman. Jesus is going to start by illustrating his point with a, with a short parable in verses 41 and 42. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. One denarii is a day's wage for the common laborer back then. So 50 denarii would be 50 days of wages and 500 denarii would be the equivalent of 500 days of wages. The woman represents the one who owes 500 and the Pharisee represents the one who owes 50. Get this. They both had a debt. They both had a debt they could not pay. They couldn't pay what they owed. It was impossible. The debtors are obviously metaphorical sinners in this parable. What Jesus was saying was that according to conventional outward morality, the woman was a 500 sinner and Simon was a 50 sinner. Outwardly, she was, she was 10 times as sinful. But they had both fallen. They had both sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The high-class moralist had the same problem as a low-class prostitute. Neither of them could pay their debt. They were both insolvent. There would be a reckoning one day when their debt would need to be paid. Have you ever been in a place where you're upside down financially? I have. Everything is fine. I think as Dave Ramsey says that everything's fine as long as I can out-earn my stupidity. Everything is fine until you lose your job or incur an unexpected expense. 
neither of these debtors could pay, so the money lender, the parable tell, tells us, canceled the debt of both. He didn't give them a payment plan or make a plan to forgive the debt based on their credit or merit or their behavior. He canceled their debt. And the next, Jesus asked a question that would have cut the heart of his hearers then, and I pray that it cuts my heart and your heart today. Now, which one of them, in verse 42, second half of verse 42, now which one of them will love him more, he asked the Pharisee. Simon begrudgingly answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. The difference between Simon and the woman is not just how they view Jesus, it's how they view themselves. Simon has no sense of forgiveness because he has no sense of need. But the woman has a strong sense of her brokenness. She knows her life is a mess. And she knows that Jesus now accepts her in spite of her mess. And that he, uh, that he canceled the debt of her sin. I love it that, that Jesus says this. He doesn't just say you're forgiven. He, he uses this in the, uh, he says, the debt is canceled. And if you're, one of my favorite passages in all the scripture is Paul writing in Colossians chapter two, verse 14. And I've got to believe, and I've never seen this before, that, that Paul is probably thinking back to this woman's canceled debt when he penned the following words. He said, you sinner who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set it aside. He set it aside and nailed it to the cross. So her response is an overwhelming love for him, a love that risks further social disgrace. Jesus then recounts her love for him. We're going to see this in verses 44 through 47. He contrasts, we'll see here, that he contrasts a self-righteous Pharisee who sees Jesus as a good teacher to be studied with the woman who sees Jesus as the one who forgave her debt of sin and accepted her, and so he is worthy of her love. The cause of her great love is her forgiveness. The cause of her great love is her forgiveness. She knew she was a woman of great sin, yet she knew that the forgiving and accepting love of Christ was greater than she could ever imagine. For, uh, verse 44 through 47, the proof of her great love. The proof of her great love is not a bumper sticker or church attendance or even how much she gives. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Look at her. This is what a follower of Jesus looks like. Simon, you invited me into your house, but you're not the host. This woman, your unwanted guest, she's my host. I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. It was customary in that culture for the host to uh, either wipe the feet of the guest himself, 
because they wore sandals, they were dusty and dirty, or have one of the slaves do it. And even though this wasn't a requirement for the, for the host, it was clear that Simon did less than he should have done. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, Simon, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. A kiss on both cheeks was customary. It was a customary sign of friendship, but Simon gave no such kiss. On the other hand, the woman couldn't stop kissing Jesus' feet. This was a sign of respect, humility, and acceptance. In verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, Simon, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And this is a, this is a third contrast. It was not required by the host, but it was a special courtesy. In New Testament times, anointing a guest's um, uh, guest head with olive oil was a common practice. It was a cultural sign of honor and hospitality. It was a symbol of blessing and prosperity. It also may be seen as a way to refresh the travelers after a long journey. Jesus recounted these contrasting actions because the woman's actions proved her love for Jesus and the Pharisee's actions proved his judgmental attitude towards the woman and his lack of love and respect for Jesus. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And if we're not careful, we can read this verse wrong. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Usually when you see four, we're actually seeing the cause. She wasn't forgiven because she loved much. She loved much because she was forgiven. It's like saying this, it rained hard last night, the cause, for our windows were wet when we awoke the next morning. Her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. The woman who had lived a life of giving herself to men for money and then cast off and rejected as one with no worth has been forgiven and accepted by Jesus. Her response, to love much. Oftentimes, those of us who have been rescued from the world in real, real and tangible ways are more resolute in loving and serving Jesus. You often see, um, I mean, there's story after story, just like, just Google it. Somebody that was a great sinner, now is a follower of Jesus. And they seem to be more sold out for Jesus because they have a more uh, tangible um, reality that they were a sinner. But here, the, deal, the deal is, is that even though some of us might have been 500 sinners and some of you were 50 sinners, Saved at age four, praise be to God. We want more 50 sinners in the kingdom. But the challenge for you 50 sinners is to recognize that you are every, much, every bit as much lost and dead in your sins as the whatever 500 sinner you can imagine. And it's when we lose sight of the reality that we all had a debt that we couldn't pay. And that Jesus in his kindness and his mercy, by faith in his sacrifice on the cross, 
canceled the record of debt that stood against us. This disgraced woman that had the big A on her chest, that everybody in the town knew that she was a 500 sinner. She walked confidently into the room of self-righteous men and approached Jesus, not to be saved, but because she had already been forgiven and accepted and her debt had been canceled. Her loving actions were in response to her debt being canceled. Jesus knew that as a result of her past and the reality that religious people will try to imprison her by her past, that he wants her to be able to walk in the peace of her assurance. This is, if you know 500 sinners, I want to just tell you this, that 500 sinners whether they've killed somebody, um, whether they were a child molester, um, whether they um, uh, committed adultery, 500 sinners need to be reminded that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They need to be reminded that the debt that stood against them has been canceled. It's been removed in Jesus, in this, this beautiful um, end of this, this uh, chapter 7, Jesus says this in verse 49, uh, verse 48 and 50, with, with uh, 49 in the middle. He says this, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He didn't just forgive them right, right then. He reminded her. She's standing in the midst or kneeling in the midst of men that are staring her down, knowing all of her past mistakes. And he's reminding her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this even, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. There are some here this morning who still have a record of debt that has been built up by living in rebellion and disobedience to God. You've not been redeemed. You still have a heart of stone. The first step to salvation is to recognize that you're a debtor, that you're a sinner, and that you can't pay it off. You can try for the rest of your life. You can't pay it off. You can't give enough. You can't be good enough. So first is to recognize your sin. Next is to look to the cross of Jesus and see that he died a debtor's death so that anyone who believes in him and trusts in his sacrifice will have their debt forgiven. This is an open invitation. The, the, the door to the ark of salvation is open to anyone. 50 sinner, 500 sinner, 5,000 sinner. There is forgiveness and acceptance at the cross. The people, the Pharisee, 
the Pharisees reject, Jesus is willing to accept. Those whom Jesus receives can walk in peace as a result of their forgiveness and acceptance. Christian, most of you here today, maybe all of you here today, only God knows your heart, I want to remind you that all of your debt has been canceled. Your debt has been paid off. There's no sin that you can commit today or tomorrow. that stands against you. You've been freed from the penalty and the shame and the power of sin. When you do sin, there's an auto deposit. You'll never be insolvent spiritually. There's an auto deposit of more grace and more grace and more grace. I pray that this reality of grace upon grace will free you to love God and love people. And I want to encourage us here towards the end, brothers and sisters, let's not pronounce a life sentence on anybody for the sin they've committed. Let's not pronounce a life sentence on others for their sin and past mistakes. I know people who are convicted sex offenders and convicted of many heinous Deeds that are decades removed. And we still want to hold them in that box. Of course there's natural consequences to their sin. That's why we have government and law. But let's let them be free with the gospel. Let's let them find peace in the gospel They're already fighting condemnation from the enemy. They don't need to fight our condemnation. The story of the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet at the house of Simon the Pharisee is typical of the interest that Luke takes in women. Do you know that Luke talks about women in this gospel twice as many times as the other three gospels combined? Let that be a blessing to the ladies this morning. This Jesus cares for women. And there's many women who supported Jesus in his ministry and went with him and followed him. And I'm just going to read verses one through, uh, one through three in chapter eight. And we'll just end it there. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And old Susanna. And many others who who provided them out of their means. We see Mary Magdalene and we see Joanna at the end of Luke. In chapter 24. As having the great privilege of some of the first people that Jesus appeared to. Jewish rabbis didn't teach women and didn't respect women. But we know that Jesus came to forgive men and women, anybody who would put their faith and trust in him. 
the ongoing peace, the key for ongoing peace is in knowing that you're more sinful than you know and more loved than you can imagine no matter what your mistakes were yesterday or today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, it's so easy, it's so easy to think that we're diving into the deeper things of Scripture while leaving the gospel behind. And what I heard a man say once is that the gospel is the schoolhouse. And inside the schoolhouse are the many other rooms where we learn more about you and your character and your love for us. And we learn more about uh, who we are um, in Christ and where we see the deceitful nature of our heart. So God, I pray that, um, that we would not leave, you would not allow us to leave this morning or go into the week without a, um, a thoughtful, gospel-saturated, spirit-empowered um, examination of our hearts. And God, I pray that we would be more like the woman, that our canceled debt would cause us to weep with thankfulness and devotion. And Lord, that we would not be like the Pharisee, that we would be ones who um, care more about gospel transformation in ourselves and others than we do uh, outwardly adhering to a bunch of rules and, and laws. We love you. Thank you for loving us more and loving us first. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen.